how do we introduce this thing? Do we have a set intro yet? We do not. We do not. Every day we are flying blind. We'll land on something one of these times. <laughs> I am Mike Gino. <laughs> I'm Maggie Sirota. And we're going to talk about three things. Should we wait? Should we maybe say that together? Three things. Okay, let's do it <laughs> one more time. Ready? Um, I'm going to leave all this in. <laughs> great, great. Let, let everyone see the process. Yeah. The uh, well oiled machine that is. Is it breaking the fourth wall? Oh, well. Uh, I'm Mike. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to talk about three, three things. things. I don't oh, know. Perfect. One of those perfect. will work. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Bob, we did it. We did it. Good. All right. That's it. What if we just did the whole podcast about trying to come up with an intro to our podcast? What if we just like, what if I just blame this on um, us being on separate coasts right now? I think so. I got a very West Coast vibe happening right now. Yeah, I'm- you're chill. You're drinking coffee out of a jar. I'm drinking coffee out of a jar. I'm in San Diego. It's sunny. I'm right near the beach. I went skateboarding today. And uh, wow, okay. A homeless man talked my ear off at the skate park, but he was actually pretty nice. <laughs> he was a chill West Coast homeless guy, I guess. He wanted someone to talk to. And you know what? You're, you have a kind face, Mike. Uh, I do, unfortunately. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants to talk to this face. Yeah, I um. Well, I've been in my house. Um, today and yesterday and the day before dot mm-hmm. dot dot <laughs> ad infinitum um and why is there something going on ah yeah <laughs> and i think i'm like each week i'm just hitting a new wall and this week has been the achy wall where my body just aches not for covid reasons but just for like inside the house malaise reasons you're like i sat that way too long and now yeah, i gotta sit yeah. this way I, uh, I need stimulation. Maybe I should sit in, in another part of the living room. I'm usually sore from chasing my kid around. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that excuse. Or my job. I don't know. <laughs> I got a lot of reasons to be sore. It's not. <laughs> you are one inflamed joint. Gugino is um, Italian for inflamed joints. It is. So, That's what yeah, it means. A lot Everybody of people always, don't know that. They, everyone always told me it meant cousin. But it's not the same. It's not spelled the same way. So I would always be like, it's not cousin. And they're like, no, it's, it's cousin. In- they're like, or kitchen. It's cousin or kitchen. And I'm just like, it's not. It's not either of those words. <laughs> and they're not even like closely related. Like, how do you get from cousin to kitchen? Because uh, it's like cucina, cucino, gugino. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, cucina is kitchen and cucino is uh cousin all right this is boring let's yeah. continue <laughs> let's continue on uh we interviewed somebody really cool this week yeah uh, our you wanna... first celebrity guest our yes. first so um our first celebrity guest is um ian baker who you may know as the keyboard player from jesus jones um, for all you gen z's and millennials out there who we all know love the show and can't get enough uh <laughs> Jesus Jones had a huge 1991 hit called Right Here, Right Now. But they also had other cool songs you should check out. And 
Ian he was nice enough to talk to us all the way from London, England. Yeah, yeah. He's in lockdown too. I'm sure he's achy. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say so, but I have suspicions. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it gets achy out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this planet. And it's like rainy, so you know, sore joints. You know. Oh my gosh. Well, here's the interview. I'll play it right now. Right here, right now. On, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a million DJs did that when that song was just on the radio. Yeah. And right here, right now, we have Jesus Jones with <laughs> right here, right now. <laughs> and y'all think they're all doing just this like original bit of improv and you're <laughs> Yeah, they're like, I oh I got it. I got a perfect way to introduce this top hit from Jesus Jones. Uh, all right, here we go. Here's the interview. <laughs> so, Ian, we actually met uh, over 25 years ago. Um, I was okay. <laughs> I was gonna say like hey welcome to the show it's nice to meet you but we actually technically met yeah. um I was 13 I'm <laughs> you were older than 13 yeah <laughs> um this was when Jesus Jones was on tour right um, with the stereo MCs in 1993 oh god yeah it was a great tour and you um so my friends and I like waited outside by the bus outside the tower theater um, in in Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 We are both from Philadelphia. We grew up there. <laughs> um, I I remember that gig, and um, I'm not. Sh- I, it, it's a weird one. We did some, um, and I ended up meeting um, a friend of mine called Jason Narducci, who now plays bass for um, Bob Mold and, and guided by and yeah. guided mm-hmm. by voices and Super Chunk and, and and he was at that show as well. Really? And I've got, uh, yeah, I've got I've got a photo of him and me at that that show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it sort of stuck in my mind. But yeah, Tower Ballroom in Philly. So yeah, that's God, a great yeah. theater. What do you what did you think of that show? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I like because that show we were playing similar sized. Uh, venues. So I think in Chicago we played the Aragon Ballroom, mm-hmm. which was which is Al Capone's old dance hall. So that makes sense. Oh, really? Yeah. And then we played places like um, oh, I can't remember what the place in Cleveland is called, but it's very similar to the Tower mm-hmm. Ballroom. So same sort of size, proscenium arch, very vibey, you know, theatre type venue. Um, and that tour was full of gigs like that. So it was great. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was when you were touring for Perverse. So that was the album after, um, what after was the, Doubt. Doubt, yes, that's right. Yeah. What do, What was your kind of, there were any kind of standout memories from that tour? Because I remember I saw you, I remember seeing you guys, and then I remember waiting out for the bus, and then we all started jumping on you guys to get hugs. <laughs> this is yeah, true. It, it was like that a lot. It was like that a lot. I think when, when when I think about that tour, um, I don't know. It was it was like the last tour was very much us about, about us being sort of the guys on the radio that had had a hit, right? And I think and I think Perverse was very much about us being ourselves. So you know, it was all there's loads of techno and loads of kind of it was very in your face and yeah. a, a bit of a reaction to people saying that we were 
kind of pretty boy pop stars from London. So, <laughs> and and I think that so that whole tour was quite um, it was quite confrontational in the way that it, that it, that we came across. And I really enjoy that because you know you go on on stage and instead of being like hi everybody, you're just <laughs> like ah. So those gigs were, those gigs were quite energetic and and angry and uh and amazing because of that and that's what I remember from that tour I remember it was a really fun show like it was very a lot of energy I was dancing the whole time yeah um I still had energy to jump on you guys for (laughs) for hugs afterwards (laughs) I was not allowed to go Um, I was I was 14 and I was not my parents wouldn't let me (laughs) go to your parents well, did, the did tower neighbor the tower is in kind of a rough neighborhood and they were just like no you can't go there yeah, just yeah. like oh please can i see the bands well, that's but that that wasn't that wasn't mm-hmm. uh, unique as well a lot of the venues we played mm-hmm. in in the us you know wherever you were you know if you went to tipitinas in new orleans or some of the places in san francisco is it was always like that wherever you mm-hmm. went in san fran to play a gig they would be like, it's not in the nicest part of town. And never, ever. They wouldn't say, look, we're going to this really snazzy part of town. It's yeah. going to be great. And you'll be able to go to like a sushi bar next to the restaurant. Yeah. You, you always get to the venue and they basically locked you in and said, don't go anywhere. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that all, all the time. You know. I mean, but, did you ever get into a mishap where you're like, hey, we're going to, we'll be fine. We're going to go somewhere. And then it's like, oh, we shouldn't have gone anywhere. Yeah, yeah, we had a num we had a, we had a number of those, um, and they're always they're always they're always crazy things, you know. When you end up in the wrong part of town, and we yeah we had a couple of those. Well, it's it always in like Texas and stuff, you know, when somebody would pull a gun on you. What? Yeah, what? yeah, somebody would pull a gun on you, and you'd be like, "Oh, okay, this isn't this isn't quite going the way that I thought it would be going." So, um, so why did someone? What was the inciting incident? Did, were you not um, were you not sufficiently like masculine enough? Were you not was your hat? Yeah, probably. Or, the, or okay. that classic American thing where where mm. people think that British people are Australians. So, really? Uh, you know, because they do that all the time. They're, you know, so you go over there and they'll say, "Hey, I really like your Australian accent," and you'll say, "Oh, I'm from London," and they'll be like, "You what?" And they'll pull a gun on you. But like, um, angry, like you, like you, you pulled a con. Oh, you pulled the wool over my eyes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you? Like, you know confuse yourself for an Australian, but uh, dumb hey, Americans don't like to be called dumb. So <laughs> precisely. Yeah. I, well, hey, look, I know that now. But yeah, I imagine some dude coming up to you like, oh man, I love Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, you, we got a we got a lot of that and we got and and the other odd thing is when we started we got um uh, people people make assumptions about about you a lot, and that happened more mm-hmm. in America than anywhere else. So when we started, um, they just assumed we were from Manchester. Okay. And um, you know when people have they start having conversations. Uh, you know when people have conversations about you, and they start 
by throwing a detail that's completely wrong and you yeah. keep trying to you keep trying to correct them and they they're not but, listening. But, yeah, but the horse just left the sta- like the horse yeah, just totally. left the stable. So they, you know, people yeah. would introduce you to people in, you know, record mm-hmm. company people would say, hey, this is Jesus Jones, they're from <laughs> Manchester, they're a great bunch yeah. of guys, and you'd be like, No, what wait, hang, no, no, we're not, you know, and they would just, it, I and don't then know, the dude would be like, Hey, so the Hacienda <laughs> must be a blast, yeah, you know, because yeah, you're totally. from Manchester. And, and, and I'm like <laughs> I don't, you know, but <laughs> you know, that, 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 that happened a lot. It seems like the only way to kind of navigate that is just be like, yes, yes, because they're so committed. This is the reality they want that like. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly. We, we snapped yeah. into that because one of the things that totally works with, with English people is that quite dry mm-hmm. humor mm-hmm. anyway. And we, we loved kind of winding people up because it's very, A, a it's easy to do and B yeah. it's second, it's second nature. Mm-hmm. Um, for us and, and we could string them along quite easily and just keep it going and going and going and going so that was our defense mechanism i guess Well, in that era, like if you have like, you know, you drop some dry bonbons in an interview, did it, things that were clearly jokes get reported as facts because like the, the humor was lost? Um, yeah, I think yeah, all the time, all the time. And especially because um, we would get we would get asked the same questions in, in interviews a lot. So people would say, you know, where did you where did you get the name from uh, and things like that? And we had. We were so sick of where did you get the name from that we had like four or five different stories and all of them were untrue. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I, that's the Pearl Jam playbook. I think yeah, Pearl all Jam. Of the, you know, because the simple fact about it, because I can go on, you know, the simple fact about it is it's it's kind of a, it's just an alliterative thing. It's two yeah. words that start with J. It's it's flow and meter. You know, yeah. it's it's just dumb, dumb de dumb. Mm-hmm. Jesus Jones, you know, it's just two words that kind of go to, but that that's not enough for people. You know, we we tell it we tell it to like I don't know TV producers. I think I heard maybe, maybe like, an MTV segment what? that was just like they they were like Jesus Jones picked this name because these are the most like two common names in the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The explanation, <laughs> the explanation, yeah, the explanation I remember was that Mike Edwards was so transfixed by. Having this shocking first name, per, half of the name followed by this very boring English. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the yeah, soundbite yeah, no, I remember. All of it, all of it. <laughs> it was just, it was just two words with the same letter yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that sounded okay. And I think at the time, um, I think you know, before we started, there were bands like the Jesus and Mary Chain. You know, and they had. Jesus in their name and they seem to be doing okay and we were like well okay maybe if we had a, like a similar thing maybe we'd be all right as well so <laughs> but that sort of like um um lazy appropriation isn't the sort of thing that you ever share really in, in interviews right right oh, or oh, just oh, until now <laughs> oh my well, god so we blew it open hard to explain to the press <laughs> well, so- just that you did something because it's cool like it was just cool or sounds cool you know yeah I mean I think maybe maybe we brought that upon ourselves a little because maybe I think we should have just come straight out and said you know this is the most 
dull thing ever. And I think that's that's a quite a perceptive point because as musicians, especially when you're starting out, you know, there's there is a sort of a nascent mm-hmm. fairy tale, isn't there? And there is some sort of pressure to 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 join in, some sort of pressure to to play along in in that regard. So I guess we've only like many things in life, we've well, only rock, got rock and roll. To I mean, just <laughs> making music is kind of serendipitous in a way. Like you're sort of drawing these things mm. from the air and making something out of nothing in a lot of ways. And it's not always this uh, yeah. planned out sort of architecture that you're creating this grand vision. It's just sort of like a bunch of guys who get together and it sounds good and we need a name. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of it, it just it just sort of happens. It just sort of happens. And when you tell people that, they don't really believe that it can just sort of happen. So there has to be this thread underneath it. Um, well, yeah, I was, before I was um, hopped on this call, I was actually, I ordered a bunch of old details magazines from 1993 <laughs> just because I wanted to, read some old magazines that's the sort of thing i love yeah yeah and um i was and then like there's an article that mike edwards wrote about skateboarding yes um in the issue and he talks a little bit about about your kind of meet cute that you kind of met over like he saw you in a bar and i guess you had these sneakers on yes that's 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 it that is absolutely true that's that's not a lie so no 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 that is absolutely true i mean we 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 did we did skate both of us skated at the time and, and that I see was, a skateboard oh, right behind awesome. you too yeah I yeah, also yeah, still skateboard go. that's so cool so yeah no I, I, yeah yeah I, I absolutely still skate um, and w- we met totally through skating so at that time which is you know which is late getting on for late nineteen eighty eight it was still pretty um, it wasn't common to see people skating around London. There weren't that many people who did it. And Mike turned up in my local pub and he had a pair of Vans on. And these days, if you see somebody with a pair of Vans on, it simply means they're wearing a pair of Vans. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing it signifies. (laughs) Back then, it signified that they skated. Right. And and so it was like this... um, it was like a handkerchief code or something. Oh, yeah. It was a signifier. It was like, oh, hang on a minute. You know what I mean? Um, and and that was quite a, a strong thing. You know, it was like this, it was a membership to a secret society. It was like, oh, hang on a second, you skate. So hmm. we did, we did. We um he rang me up the very next day and said, let's go skate. And so I hung out with Mike skating for about two months before I'd ever heard anything by the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then literally about a week after that, he asked me to join the band. Um, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay. And, um, and then I played two or three gigs uh, and they all went okay. And then I think it literally, because obviously I was playing keyboards. And then I think about two or three years later, um we were in japan and i was around some we were all around some another musician's house and they had a piano and i walked over to the piano and i started playing the piano just for the hell of it and everybody else in the band that were there they all stopped and looked at me and they were like what (laughs) you can can play the piano and i was like yeah sure i can play it and they never they didn't because they never asked me in the first place they just said well can you come along and 
hit hit the keyboard. For us. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. They, they never. Maybe they just wanted you to be the Bez and dance of Marauders. <laughs> Were you like the keyboard is a piano? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but they didn't check. You know, so imagine they offered me a job without checking any of my credentials whatsoever. So literally, the only credential that they checked. Amazing. Were my shoes. <laughs> yeah, I got I got hired. I got so that changed my life, and I ended up with a career because I decided to put a pair of shoes on one day. So, did you guys skate I on the road? Have. Did you guys like bring your boards and stuff and try to skate? We tried in the states, but that was tricky because obviously you know trying to bring them over mm. and put them in flight cases and stuff. But in the UK, yes, all the time. The first couple of tours of the UK. What's the worst injury you've ever sustained? Oh, um, well, I I, um, I remember I cut, I popped out of a bowl in Harrow where I used to skate, and the board hit me in the uh, hit me in the chin, oh. and um, it wasn't that painful or anything. And um, and I remember thinking, oh, and, and I coughed. I went, <coughs> and this big spew of blood came out of my thing, and my Woo! tooth had gone, and my tooth had gone straight through my tongue, like I pierced a hole in my tongue oh. with one of my teeth. And I was like, oh, shit. And um, But but it's weird because it's your tooth. uh, Sorry, because it's your tongue. It, it like, healed up. So a couple of weeks later, it was was fine. But at the time, I remember thinking, oh, this is messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I I noticed a very knowing nod, Mike, from you when he talked about the slamming the tooth through the tongue. (laughs) I knocked myself out on a handrail at my high school. (laughs) Yeah. It was glad after school, thank God, but it was that would have been embarrassing during. That's life. Um, you ever surprised where some of your music ends up? Because I mean, we were talking on the one episode about like, you know, like how you're right here right now stayed with the Clinton, you know, the Clinton family well, yeah. for so long. Yeah, I I'm always amazed, always mm-hmm. amazed. Um, and it's a funny thing actually because we were talking about perverse earlier and. Um, Perverse is the the album, weirdly, that everybody is, has been influenced by. I mean, there's not that many bands out there that say, mm-hmm. yeah, we sound an awful lot like 1991-era Jesus Jones. There's mm-hmm. not that many people that do that. But... Um, but like in terms there's, of there's, there's loads of people that that use perverse as a jumping off point. So I yeah. can you know mm-hmm. so there's people that send me demos and tapes and mixes and stuff, and they're like, "This is where we got the idea from. We got that from you in 1993." Oh, and and you can hear and you know and I can hear bits of it in that music. So that's that's really weird, and it's 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 all kind of it's and it's all metal. It's all kind of like industrial stuff. It's all quite mm-hmm. oh. quite dark and quite. Um, this kind of dark, doomy, propulsive metal, which has, I suppose, some of those sort of techno rhythms, some of that dense techno structure inside it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really cool, you know, because it's something that's not, it's something that's indirect. So it's not mm-hmm. like seeing the front cover of your album pasted right. up on a, on a wall <laughs> somewhere. It's like watching somebody walk past and knowing that they're wearing something that you once did in a specific way. You know right. what I mean? It's it, it, it's like an indirect form rather than a direct form, um, and that's that, I think that fascinates me more. That's interesting. So we got the ten minute warning from Zoom. So why don't oh. we turn? Why don't we transition to your thing? Like what's on your mind right now? Oh. Um, 
I've been thinking because, well, you know, one of my other side hustles is that I do um, music news for uh, the NME's radio station. NME has a radio station, NME. Okay. And I do news bulletins for that. So I've been looking at the news over the past couple of weeks. And it's this mixture of sort of hope and despair as far as gigs go, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially because it was the week in, you know, those last couple of weeks I got you know contacted by uh, our agent who was saying hey come over to the states and do some gigs later this year do a festival later this year mm-hmm. and you're thinking well is this going to happen in right. the same week when i read stories about governor cuomo in new york saying that mm-hmm. um i think it's arena shows like 10,000 and over can mm-hmm. come back from the end of february but it's only 10% capacity oh. um yeah, so it's ten percent oh. capacity. At, you know that you know strictly limited and all this sort of thing. And you're there, sort of thinking. So it's this mixture of hope and confusion where you think right. well, that's great that it's that gigs are coming back, but at the same time, you know, a thousand people in a ten thousand seat arena. That okay, if you if you scale that down, that's like. I don't think I've been to many gigs like that, but I've certainly been to some gigs in bars when there's you know it's a hundred yeah. capacity and there's ten people there. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of soul destroying, not just for the band, but I always think that it's, it's it's not great for the audience either. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want the energy of the you want the energy. Yeah, of, yeah everybody like does. People. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So so it is kind of confusing, you know. And then I think a lot of you know some of that confusion wasn't really helped by reading some of those uh, reports about Super Bowl shows. Oh yeah, yeah. When so. So you go all these you know, people saying, people at the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you know, you see people at Steve Aoki gigs where you know there's like <laughs> people without any masks and he's like pouring vodka down the throats of YouTube influencers <laughs> without any masks. Uh and I'm thinking, well, oh, okay, so is it gonna be like 10 people in a bar for a hundred, or is it gonna be like like a Steve Aoki gig? Is it going to be um, a super spreader event or is it going to be like three? Is yeah. it going to be like yeah, totally. yeah. And, three you know, and I've seen some, <laughs> So I watched footage of the Steve Aoki thing, you know, and it just looked, um, it just looked like divorced from reality and the most, mm-hmm. and the most kind of painful experience ever. But then again, you know, I have a suspicion that Steve Aoki, Aoki gigs before the pandemic probably weren't much <laughs> better than that anyway so, pretty much the same yes yeah, it's, it's the same deal, different different viruses yeah 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 different kind of things moving around the kind of crowd but um so yeah it was, it was confusing for me you know and so i i just don't know what to think and it makes it tricky because it you know everybody wants gigs to come back but I don't know. It's like the the two halves of it are two halves of the, the same equation. Yeah. People are coming at it from different ways, you know. Mm-hmm. So the audience are desperate for gigs to come back. Every you know, everybody wants to go and see bands, but obviously bands are desperate for audiences as well. Yeah. That's why Steve Aoki yeah. wants to pour vodka down mm-hmm. models' throats. Well, it's um, like even if you have the show, are people gonna be too afraid to show up? Precisely, yeah. It, you know, just, is, uh, that, is that going to lead to things like, you know, insurance issues if these gigs get cancelled? What you know, last time we played in the US, you know, we we had to pay for our um, flights and our visas up front. I had to put my hand in my pocket and pay for. Mm-hmm. That was like six thousand dollars for visas. Wow. 
Yeah, like, for, like visa costs and lawyers' fees for visas was like six thousand bucks or something, and then you know, like four thousand dollars for for flights. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm at ten thousand dollars before I've you know before we've even played a note before we've right. even set foot in the country. And you just think, well, what happens if this you know carries on and this sort of thing happens? And there's cancellations and what have you. So I have sp- I've spent a week trying to work out, like I said, alternating between hope and despair. Really trying to yeah. work out exactly what's going to happen. And that's the, I suppose that's one of the overriding factors of the entire situation that everybody finds themselves in. And not just for music, you know, that you do alternate between hope and despair. I suppose that's mm. a it's a key component of everything that we're going through, but it doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't put me any closer to kind of any resolution in any way. I remember there's something I meant to ask you. Um, do you remember a TV performance um, Jesus Jones did? I think it was during the Doubt album cycle yeah. where you performed at a like a comedy variety show hosted by Dennis Leary called London Underground. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if you had any memory, if you had any interactions with Dennis Leary. I was just curious. Um I don't think we did that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, we knew exactly who he was. Right. Um, we knew who he was and we thought he was very cool. But I seem to remember he was quite... Um, uh, he was play, He was like playing that role of like mm-hmm. the rebellious comedian. Yeah. Like straight batted. Yeah, absolutely. So um, he, was, he was quite... Um, not confrontational, but he was quite standoffish, right? And and quite, uh, let's put it, he was aware of his own self-image. I okay. think you, you <laughs> know what I mean, sure. which made it difficult to go over. You know, there are some people yeah. who doesn't matter who they are, you can just go over and say, you know, what? I think you're great. You're a, you're a funny guy. I like you, or your music's great, or this or that. You, you don't care about. Um, coming across with any sort of interaction. And I remember standing next to the guy and that wasn't the vibe that he was giving off at all. Right. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe that, I don't know, maybe that was kind of a defense mechanism for him or I don't, I don't really know. Or it's kind of like he's method. He was like, he's like Daniel Day-Lewis. He's in character when the... <laughs> Um, I mean, when you guys did a bunch of late night, like you did television appearances, was there anyone that you were surprised by how cool they were or receptive or? Oh, who was the, who was the guy? Arsenio Hall. I thought Arsenio Hall was great. I thought he was a lovely guy. Yeah, I thought he was a lovely guy. Um, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought he was a lovely guy. Um, And he was, he was, he was funny and perceptive and he got things and he could, Mm -hmm. 
he could talk to you and laugh. And he got that sort of London sense of humour um, that we were very dry. Mm-hmm. And and he got that, which is which is great. And and I always remember I did some work with Pretenders in 1994, and they mm-hmm. did they did um, like we did. We did um, oh Jay Leno as well, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> Jay Leno turned up to that filming. And you know he's a big petrol head. He he has like a massive collection of cars. Wait, what did you call him? A petrol head? Yeah, petrol head. I've so never must heard be that down. before. Okay, so yeah, maybe that's a UK thing. So, <laughs> but, but he's got a huge he's got a huge collection of cars. It's what he's known for, I guess, more yeah. than mm-hmm. almost more than anything else. And I remember we were all stand hanging out by the um, hanging out by the, the you know the side of the TV studio, and he turns up in one of his like really expensive incredibly maintained vintage cars mm-hmm. and you know drives up pull, parks next to the the studio lot or whatever mm-hmm. and gets out of this car you know wearing really bad jeans and <laughs> uh, and um 90s yeah. com- comedian jeans yeah, yeah totally, yeah. totally, totally. And, and i remember and it was obvious that this car was like worth more than you know all of our houses put together and all this. And I remember the guitarist said to him something like total Londoner, like, mate, look at your car, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and he totally didn't get it. You know what I mean? He totally didn't get that we were trying to be, uh, that we were just taking the mickey out of him at all. And he right. didn't, I remember he, he was totally like, are these guys like fronting me out somehow? Are they oh, kind man. of threatening me? Are they actually disrespecting my car you know I mean, he, but and the only thing he didn't think about was uh, is this in any way any sort of joke and i remember right. him walking away still looking really pissed off and thinking <laughs> yeah that thinking, is very much not his style of comedy yeah i was like <laughs> yeah. dude you're a comedian like shouldn't like shouldn't that be the first thing that pings on your radar like you know shouldn't you be the first person in the world to see that a joke is flying around but he didn't get that you know and so Contrasting that with Arsenio Hall, who I remember, who's just so clued in and sweet and funny and easy to talk to. So, Wow. So, I, I cannot get over you guys heckled Jay Leno. That's so incredible. Yeah, yeah. Whoops. <laughs> it's okay. Well, if he's listening. Obviously, if he's listening, obviously he's listening. I'm very sorry. You know. But... He's a big, f- <laughs> no, big fan no, of the show. Sorry. Yeah. You're not sorry. I'm very sorry. But Don't d- be sorry. Dude, Don't apologize jeans, to him. The jeans, though. Like the jeans and the shoes. I was like, oh, come on. You know, put some effort like, in. Are, is it, did he guys know that you were the band playing did he know who you were? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I, I don't really? think you know. We. I, I don't think we acted like we're in a particularly like we're in a band anyway. Do you know? What I mean, I right. think he maybe thought we. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who he thought we were. So, <laughs> like I have this image of you guys like in your like Vision Streetwear and your big pants and yeah, your juicy. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what he thought really, but hey, <laughs> just some punk kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you're a dad. What do your kind of kids think about the fact that like when you tell them about this career, you know, music career and that you toured the world and that you're on television? And <laughs> I think they, um, I don't know if they, um, I, I don't know how impressed they are by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, obviously they're too young to really kind of get any sense of vibe off what we actually did. And they've only been to a couple of shows. 
How old are they? <laughs> they are 11 and 9. Okay. Yeah, they're youngins. So, so they're pretty young. So they've never they've never really seen that many shows. They've seen like two gigs. And um I don't know. It's it's funny. It seems quite sort of it's something that's separate from their knowledge of things. And and obviously the world has changed so much since we were around. Mm-hmm. You know, this crisis, people that are, that are 30 that don't remember us in any way. So for <laughs> like a nine-year-old to have any kind of ability to sort of pass information about what Jesus Jones were like is, is a tall order indeed. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean... Uh... Like, number one, where can we find you on the internet and... On the internet, uh, we are at, uh, we're on Twitter, which mm-hmm. is at Jesus Jones Band. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I think the Facebook is the same thing as well. So Facebook slash Jesus Jones Band. Um, we have an Instagram, which will be the same thing, Jesus Jones Band. Um, apart from that, um, I wish I could say that we, you know, hey, come and see us at a gig at any point in the near future. But as we've discussed, that one is... Yeah very much up in the air at the moment um, yeah there's a lot of people that would love to say that <laughs> yeah pretty much all of them you know but um, apart yeah. from that we are we've been busy doing various other little bits and bobs i have some side project project work on at the side at the moment that we're doing i have oh, this cool. thing called essential nature which is me and mike and we mike, the mike edwards the uh, yes, yes that's so yeah so it's me and mike edwards and the support band that played with us in in chicago when we were in chicago a couple of years ago there's a band called uh the discoveries of the american scientific and um we just i just got on really well with them the singer joe and decided to see if we could do stuff so we're doing stuff effectively via zoom you know they send mm-hmm. stuff over to me and we you find collaborative solutions outside your own comfort space. Um, so that's been really good. And that's been a way of kind of maintaining creative um, output uh, at a time when it's just impossible to do it in standard ways. And yeah. we're not the, we're not the only people to do it. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. doing it like that. So for musicians, it's the equivalent of working from home, I guess, you know, yeah. A, yeah. adapting to new ways of, of, producing things um so we're doing we're doing a lot of that that's That's cool cool. that's exciting well you're gonna have to tell us like when you know the world kind of opens up again you're gonna have to tell us when you come to new york well i hope we get to see you like in person at a show that would be so cool well i'll be i'll be in touch and you know wherever we touch down you know we'll go by we'll um we'll yeah we we have to hang out you'll be on the list we'll go and hang out yay yeah (laughs) No, this, I've been, time, yeah, I, this, this time my parents won't come pick me up like no one none of our parents that can actually stay out we will see you there please tell mike edwards i'm still madly in love with him okay uh, <laughs> you know that hasn't changed in case yes. he was wondering i'll be in love with you if you want ian I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> i don't want anybody yeah, to no, I, I'm, I'm due to speak to him tomorrow actually so yeah okay, I'll be great first. perfect First thing I'll tell him. First thing I'll tell him. This works out. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I know what this looks like, but I sold that motorbike. And you know, sweet 19, we should be over. Put your foot down on
So, Maggie. Yes, what, Mike. What's your thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess generally misogyny. <laughs> but, uh, as it usually is. Um, In but its many forms. Yeah, I was kind of I was enjoying the Britney Spears discourse. Um, I haven't watched the documentary, but um, oh, I have. I, it's really good. Good. I should check it out. But um, I'm appreciating that kind of you know like that kind of generational cycle of reappraising media and reappraising <laughs> the way people are treated and like the way women are treated. And right, it because the 90s w turned out it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 90s. Well, I was kind of hoping that conversation would catch on um, when the Lorena Bobbitt documentary came out, because like, like, what do you remember about that case? About Lorena Bobbitt? Yeah. Well, I saw the documentary, so now mm -hmm. much more. But before it was just like, oh, that's the. It was almost like jokey, like yeah. she cut off uh, John Wayne Bobbitt's penis mm -hmm. in like uh, as like a jealous wife kind of thing and threw it out on the side of the road. Everyone was just like, ooh, <laughs> penis in a story, oh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and like you find out it's like this, no, it's actually a horrific tale of a woman that was abused like sexually, emotionally, mm -hmm. physically. <laughs> um you know, violently, like, you know, you learn the guy almost killed his next girlfriend. Yeah, um, terrible. And it, we never really, I mean, there was not a lot of focus on, like, how media kind of, like, there's not really a lot of onus on Howard Stern for, like, what he did to enable John Wayne Bobbitt. Right. You know, and there was this really just kind of awful segment in that documentary about late night, how awful late night um, comedy was. And it made me, it reminded me, Britney Spears kind of reminded me a lot of this. Um, well, there's there was a there's a, actually a lot of clips of that in the Britney Spears documentary, yeah. and there's yeah. a couple clips of Jay Leno making jokes. I'm trying to remember, but there's a couple jokes that Jay Leno makes that literally I, I almost wanted to fast forward. It was just like unbearable. Yeah, well, it's kind of like it's definitely not specific to the '90s. Like when you, I think we're just always going to be in the process of incrementally realizing how. The previous decade or previous five years or previous 20 years was always horrific to certain people, you know, mm -hmm. people of color, black people, women, uh, transgender people, you know, what have you. Um, and so to kind of segue into my thing, my old lady tendency has been to rebuy like magazines I used to own off eBay and just <laughs> lay around and read them during the pandemic. And one of my favorite magazines was Radar. Um, back before it was like, the, I guess the gossip site, the kind of Us Weekly style gossip site that it is now is like a really smart, irreverent magazine. It's not print anymore. A lot of, I guess a lot of magazines aren't no, anymore. Yeah. This went under, I think this is like tried to come back like three or four times and, um, it's been long dead, but I really enjoy, I remember really enjoying this. And then like, as I'm like picking this up, um, 14 years later, I'm just kind of realizing how like, oh no, this is... <laughs> Some of it's just so hateful to women. Like, let me show you. So this issue is the plastic surgery issue, which is an interesting topic, you know, worthy of investigation. Mm -hmm. And check out this cover. Describe the cover. Okay, so what I'm wait, hold it up a little more, or go over. 
Yeah. We're back. <laughs> back oh, can you... towards you just so I can. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. It says, help, I can't move my face next mm-hmm. to uh, a picture of Nicole Kidman, who looks like she can't move her face. Yeah. I don't know if that article has anything to do with her. Well, it's also her head is superimposed onto a Barbie doll's body. Oh, it is it is disturbingly photoshopped. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so if you open up the magazine, there's a section in here um, where they they report like secret inside lingo. Well, mm-hmm. what's what's purportedly secret inside lingo between Hollywood plastic surgeons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Wait, so what's the lingo like? Like a kind of oh, like some hobos well, gonna... at the hobo camp or something? Like the way there's like nicknames for things? Well, for example, um, so one is called a plastiche. Mm-hmm. And what that means is an uneasy mixture of several plastic surgeons work. And the way that phrase would be used and this is really cruel if i ever become a plastiche like courtney love kill me <laughs> like they uh, use so... some, they use some examples of people to i'm trying to wrap my head around this because this is this idea of like one getting plastic surgery is so far mm-hmm. for me let alone judging other people who also got plastic surgeries plastic surgery yeah it's that that's insane <laughs> All right, so so wait, Nicole Kidman is saying that about Courtney Love? No, no, the the, the um, Nicole Kidman, she's not interviewed in this magazine. She's she's just on the cover to like. That's not real, uh, Nicole Kidman. That's just a cutout they the, took a picture of. Yeah, she's there to illustrate like a like a plastic, you know, a cosmetic surgery casualty. Like, look <laughs> at her; she she's frozen. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, so they take a shot at Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's something a little, there's some slang called Snoopy breasts. What do you think that means? Uh, what I'm picturing in my head is boobs that look like Snoopy's nose. Okay. Yeah. Saggy boobs that evoke the nose of Charlie Brown's beagle and not in the man's best friend way. Oh, well, they had to throw a little sass on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, this one's, um, really, really mean. They are very mean mm-hmm. to Lisa Rinna here. Um, there was a good bit of time in like the, during the Bush era where she was kind of like two rungs down from your kind of go-to plastic surgery disaster. Cause I think her lips mm-hmm. were, she had done some stuff, stuff to her lips. So she was like two punchlines down from like Jocelyn Wilmerstein. Um, so the slang that, that surgeon, that plastic surgeons like to use for a certain type of woman is tits on a stick. What do you think that means? Um, probably just what, <laughs> what it, <laughs> hold on, let me, let me internalize that image Wait. first before I <laughs> dissect it, take some, digest it, take some time with it. Yeah. Take I'm all just, the time you need. just picturing like a children's drawing of like, with like a popsicle stick with hair and then yeah. boobs on each side of it. A rail thin female with implausibly large breast implants. And their example mm. is Lisa Rinna. Lisa. Oh, Ugh. Yeah. And it gets they, really, it gets crueler. So next we have trout pout. You probably can figure out what that is. Trout pout? Trout I pout. Do I want to know what that is? Absurdly fake inflated lips. And their example okay. is Lisa Rinna. Oh, they keep using that's mean. 
Yeah. And then the last one, vulcanize. What do you think that means? Like vulcanize? Like what the... Oh. No, not Eastern Europe. <laughs> Vulcan. Like I'm Star thinking Trek. of the Balkans. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you mean like the country that started World War One? It's like, you know, when your eyes break off into to, uh, you know, several... Yes. They break off into several c- countries. When you're shot in a car and it starts a world war. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it sucks. That's the worst plastic surgery disaster. <laughs> I didn't so, realize. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so vulcanize, creepily arching eyebrows, a result of Botox abuse. And the use Oh, of- like Vulcan from Star Trek. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the example they use is if Katie Couric would cool it on the Vulcan eyes, she'd look a lot less homicidal. Yeah. Uh, what? Not rude. I, has that is any, so rude. Do you think that Katie Couric looks homo, homicidal? I think no. It's just the the kind of sassy example they give. Oh. But um, it just but seems just like they're of... typing this into like a computer that has like an insult algorithm. It's like give mm-hmm. me celebrity that looks has weird eyebrows like, <laughs> Katie Couric. there's something wrong with her eyebrows oh my gosh all right so what I've do you think never thought about Katie Couric's eyebrows until this moment in my life yeah yeah um okay so what do you think about this what do you think the Ashley is and that's Ashley with two E's Ashley I I, I don't know so an Ashley is a nose job designed to smooth out a hump, rendering the patient glamorously unrecognizable. And the example they use is Ashley Simpson. Oh, okay. I thought that they would have gone to Jennifer Gen- Gray. Yeah, Jennifer Gray is like the famous one. Yeah, yeah. That's so crazy how something like that can end your career pretty much. Yeah. And it's like, and the reason you did it is because of your career. Like you felt pressure to look a certain way. You. You thought you weren't getting certain roles because you didn't look a certain way. So it's like a catch. Is that a catch 22? <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. That's uh, famous. So weird. Like <laughs> and, and the I think the Britney Spears documentary really brought that out mm-hmm. after watching that where when, like I heard a really good point um, made about. Britney, Sport, Britney Spears with sort of women like her, like, uh, like um, you know, like a Nicole Brown Simpson or Anna Nicole Smith or Lorena Bobbitt, mm-hmm. where you, the public is always finding about them in reverse. Mm-hmm. So you never, you know, or like Tanya Harding, where you never get the story from the beginning to the end. You never get it in chronological order. Mm-hmm. So everything that person is doing to you seems crazy or mm-hmm. cruel or whatever you, whatever you want to put on that. Mm-hmm. So you never knew Britney Spears was breaking down because she was uh, trying to get custody of her children. Yeah. Like the whole events leading up to that, when you see her acting out, it makes total sense because she is just in this state of being completely frustrated. Mm-hmm. And we're just seeing the results of that. So we're like, oh my God, she is, she's insane, you know? <laughs> and then they use that as an excuse to put her in this, uh, whatever the... The conservatorship? Yeah, the conservatorship, which is... Yeah, like she's like, like she's not granted like an interior life in, mm-hmm. in the coverage of right. Yeah. I mean, also something I think interesting, I mean, something that kind of is overlooked is that she's another kid that grew up in show business. 
Yeah. Like, what is show business doing to these people? Like, to, when you grow up in it, what is it doing? Like, like I know the horror stories about kids getting, like, you know, molested and stuff, but... It seemed like her... I, I, it might be different for everybody because show show business, when you get to that level of fame, mm -hmm. gives you so much so quickly, and you have mm -hmm. to be ready for it unless it's just, like, it will explode in your face. Right. And it seemed like she was doing really well and really in control of her career. Mm -hmm. Um when she started out and at some point um the paparazzi the attention sort of started to derail her because they were following her everywhere she was going yeah. and she's with her kids and all these things and they're all they're saying things that aren't necessarily true because everybody's watching everything she does every minute of the day mm -hmm. yeah so. like there's no boundary like she has no boundary between them and like her private life which is extremely it was really frustrating to watch the documentary because the it was just literally the attention we were like we wanted from her the things mm -hmm. you know to just watch her life unfold that was making her life unfold yeah yeah well also i remember like not feeling very positively maybe i don't know if it was her or paris hilton like i just remember mm -hmm. uh, i was just really irritated and I don't know if that's just the monoculture of this is the thing we're going to talk about all the time and you have no choice. Or if I just didn't yeah. have, I was, you know, like I had some internalized misogyny myself. I think so. Because I think like, I think for me, it was more Paris Hilton. She had a a documentary come out about her, actually, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was never that way towards Britney because I just always kind of liked her. So yeah. I was yeah. always giving her the benefit of the doubt. But I was a little, I think I was a little harder on Paris Hilton just because she's like a rich kid. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, I think it was, there was just kind of this weird kind of gross focus on materialism after 9-11 mm -hmm. too, like in the Bush years. Yeah. Where you have like the economy kind of grinding to the halt, but you still have this really gross like kind of, of. Like wealth worship that happens. Yeah, yeah. I worked at CNBC during those times and I would do, and I was always a big, like, um, the people who were the least nice to me were people like CEOs of, mm -hmm. of like huge companies, you know, billionaires right. where we'd show up to do these shoots with, I, I'm not going to name anybody in, in particular in case one of you guys wants to sponsor this podcast. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, it, you, we were always treated like the help when we yeah. went to like interview a CEO, even though we we are all professionals in our own right, like mm -hmm. making him look amazing. Mm -hmm. We were just some, we were like, uh, he treated us like factory workers or something like ruffians, <laughs> you know? We're, Do you have an example? Like, did he say something or? There, um, it, you know, the only real example I have, cause they would never say anything like you would, mm -hmm. I would have to go and basically clip a mic onto somebody and mm -hmm. almost every time they would be on, this is back in the Blackberry days, they'd be on a Blackberry and not say a word to me and mm -hmm. then just kind of like kind of poke their chest out a little bit to the side. And it was just mm -hmm. like, this is so weird. Like they're just yeah. so used to being handled by people right. that literally like people are touching you and it mm -hmm. just is makes no uh, impression on this person it's just like but, oh, like they will just like, not acknowledge you under any circumstances yeah it's like manicure they stick their hand out like haircut they, you know they just call for it <laughs> someone and, someone just appears with scissors yeah shoes please <laughs> slippers <laughs> um 
But that, yeah, that always made me feel like my job was super working class in those moments. Mm -hmm. Or uh, right. other times I felt like a creative professional. It was like right. moments like those, I was like, oh, like I feel like a fucking, like a garbage man or like a, mm -hmm. you know, a factory worker. It's like, okay, boss, the mic's on you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds real good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, why that's my accent immediately when uh, I think of like a worker. I have a very limited, uh, limited impressions. <laughs> so I try to fit them in <laughs> where they don't belong. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like my point in bringing this up is like there's always this latent kind of misogyny that we just incrementally discovered it's so it's always shocking to realize to the extent it's always been there like it's mm -hmm. kind of just been this background color of my life well especially in the 90s which felt so much like we are you know we are in the 90s man it's like we're getting rid of racism we're getting rid of misogyny you mm -hmm. know homophobia peace see you later <laughs> like and it wasn't that way at all <laughs> yeah. looking back it was like even worse than we remember yeah <laughs> well yeah it's kind of like that kind of wave of like Dennis Leary type comedians where it's like political mm -hmm. correctness like it's like when people talk about like cancel culture and like what it's like a, well, we've already done this before like we I've been here mm -hmm. oh yeah it was like the <laughs> whole already... 90s <laughs> it was we just already... called politically politically correct or whatever just yeah it's like yeah, Den I've already heard Dennis Leary like yell and smoke about it. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I can't smoke in the in the no smoking section of a restaurant. Get out of here. Yeah. Just coffee. Just give me coffee. I don't want a <laughs> latte. <laughs> a cap of water. <laughs> Just give me coffee. Coffee. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I'm I, a man. I do man things. <laughs> I read recently that there is a there was a Roman word mm -hmm. that was basically you're canceled. It was a Latin word. I, uh, I can't remember what it was, but it, it's basically a Latin word where mm -hmm. all the people would like take a vote to just yeah. remove you from all the literature, all the monuments, and you were just Damn. canceled and disappeared. You're erased. You're beyond canceled. You are. <laughs> Well, they did it to, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Gracchus, one of the sort of populist uh, Romans before mm -hmm. Caesar, who was like trying to give more to the regular folk. Shout out to Mike's philosophy degree. <laughs> I got a few in there. Don't look that up because I could be totally wrong too. <laughs> How much did that little piece of knowledge cost you, Mike? Zombie, oh, zombie. Zombie. But speaking of history, maybe we mm -hmm. could dovetail this into yeah, let's my do it. thing. Let's go to your thing, Mike. What's your uh, thing? My thing is I wanted to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, so the nominees came out um, and Fela Kuti was one of them. So it got me thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I really hope Fela Kuti gets in before Dave Grohl gets in twice. Right, right. No shade to Dave Grohl, but it's like, 
we're talking about Fela Kuti, the inventor, yeah. one of the inventors of Afrobeat music, who wrote songs about uh, a, Niger- a Nigerian um, a military dictatorship to the dictatorship and would get <laughs> and get rounded up and the club would get shut down. I mean, it's just an incredible story of this guy. Yeah. And he if if he gets in, he would be the only uh, person from the entire African continent to be in the rock and roll. Are you serious? Fame. Yeah. There's what, like 55 or so countries in Africa? Okay, yeah. And, and, and of those, of that, like all of those countries have had some form of rock and roll since the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he would be the only person from that entire continent to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's insane. And is this the first time he has nominated? Like how has he not been nominated before? I think this is the first time. Wow, that's crazy. Meanwhile, Green Day's in there, and <laughs> no shade to Green Day, very fine band, sold a lot of records, but, like, why are you in there over Fela Kuti? You're, like, another pop-punk band that happened to sell a lot of records. Like, Fela right, Kuti right. invented a genre of music. Maybe Like, he, he, he risked going to prison on the regular for his music. Exactly. Or, like, there's a guy, Victor Hara, from chile who mm-hmm. when there was the coup in chile he was basically rounded up by the government mm-hmm. and they they in a stadium they were murdering people and to make an example they cut out his tongue and wow. killed him wow jesus like why is this guy not in the rock and roll hall of fame because he didn't sing in english you know oh my gosh yeah i For- never knew that yeah, it's it's all these amazing stories from around the world of artists who people in these countries would know. Mm-hmm. But but it just started to seem like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think there's and I could be wrong about this, but from mm-hmm. just looking at the inductees, there's about five countries represented of really? all the countries in the world. And there's a lot more countries with rock and roll than five. Right. So what what are they like? America, the UK? Definitely America, UK, Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Ireland because of you too, maybe. Yeah, Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sweden because Abba's mm-hmm. in there. Oh, okay. I'm trying to think if there's any more. I don't think there's anybody from Mexico or South America, mm-hmm. or Central America. Nobody from Asia. Mm-hmm. All of Asia. <laughs> there's no billions, one. billions of people from Asia. A lot of musicians. Um, oh, the one I was thinking that really stood out to me was the Scorpions, who have been nominated. Okay. But have never gotten in. And they wrote the song Wind of Change, which was one of the the big reasons that the Berlin Wall came down. Mm-hmm. It was this anthem that just, you know, sort of motivated an entire movement to bring down the Berlin Wall. These guys can't get in. They just can't get in. <laughs> Not but even hey, with the CIA's help? Uh, not even with the CIA. I mean, I, I did listen to some of that podcast. I'll okay. say I didn't finish it, so I don't know if they wrote it or not. But they say they wrote it, and I kind of mm-hmm. believe that they did because it sounds like a Scorpion song. Okay. But um, it, it's just insane that they are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers are. Oh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are. Yeah, which say, you know, give them their due what they have done for funk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's <laughs> all right. I need to just unload on the Chili Peppers for a hot minute, as is my 
But um, this is your pl- this is a friendly audience. This is a safe this space. This is a safe space. All right, thank you, thank you. So um, there's so I've read Anthony Kiedis's, I read his memoir like ten years ago, and in is addition a memoir, to, it, did you is it really called a memoir? St- scar tissue, it's called, <laughs> and it is a memoir, and. In addition to like all the sex crimes he admits to, like he talks about, <laughs> there's this one part in this book that is so galling to me. Mm-hmm. In addition to all the sex crimes that Anthony Kiedis admits to, the like most galling thing he says, it um, he uses it to kind of button the chapter. You know, it's this poignant, this kind of poignant kicker at the end of this chapter. And mm-hmm. to set it up, he's ex- trying to convince Flea not to leave the band and go join Public Im- Image Limited. Oh, man. And Wow. Is this like early <laughs> on when they were like not superstars? Yeah, yeah this is before before their superstar arc. And um, <clears throat> so it, his way, well, the way Anthony tells it, his way of convincing. So when Flea is asking, well, why should I stay? His um, Anthony Key's response is, because I'm going to be the James Brown of the 80s. Wow. Uh, That's where the chapter ends. This is... <laughs> of the 80s, there already was a James Brown of the 80s, and he was living in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that just stuck with me. That was like burned in my brain forever. I like shake my fist at the heavens every time I think about it. Yeah, that's... I. That's just so weird that he thinks of him, he thought or thought of himself that way. Yeah. That's not, that is, that is like one of those things. Uh, there's got to, isn't there like a German word for like the way you see yourself? It's not the way others see yourself. What is, is that, a, is there a word for that? Delusion? Delusional, yeah. I was thinking there's got to be some compound German word, like Schadenfreude like, or something. I mean, like, he's like the luckiest motherfucker in the world because he's got like mm-hmm. all the mus- musicians supporting him are very good. They use mm-hmm. their talents for evil, but <laughs> right, <laughs> they are efficiently all excellent musicians. They are all very highly skilled, highly technically skilled, and he's the idiot that like raps nonsense. <laughs> I guess he's, but he, I guess the '90s already had a Fred Durst. So, yeah. like, what is what is he then? <laughs> what did he end up as? The um, world, the world's Anthony like, Kiedis. He's like the, a glorified Bez of the 80s. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, yeah, he's it. a front man, but what does he really do? What's he bring into this? <laughs> What's he bring into this? <laughs> uh, I'm sure he, like, loved Jim Morrison, too. He seems like one of those guys that, like, really wasn't a Jim Morrison. Yeah, yeah. He is, like, fake deep. Fake deep. That's pretty. That's a good fake way to deep. put it. Fake deep. Fake deep. Because what I Jim got, Morrison is... <laughs> you got to give it to your mama. <laughs> See, like Mother Gaia, like the the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to deconstruct his lyrics. That seems like uh, what they would make me do in hell. Yeah, dude, you should see how bad they were in the eighties too. Like they wrote, oh, a, they wrote a song. They wrote a song about the Lakers. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember the Lakers song. <laughs> yeah. I remember kind of liking them when I was a kid because they covered higher ground. But then oh, as yeah. soon as I figured out that that it wasn't a song of theirs, mm-hmm. my days of liking them were pretty short after that. Yeah, does that count as a hate crime when they um, covered higher yeah. ground? I'm like, oh, I can just listen to Stevie Wonder? Awesome. I'd rather do that. <laughs> just cut out the middleman? Yeah. <laughs> like, what cut am I doing? Mid- 
cut out the middle pepper. <laughs> so I got the tattoo removed from my wrist. The great, great, the symbol, great. <laughs> which hurt when you're like twelve. <laughs> bless, bless you. Um, I think we can end it there. Yeah. Do we want to do like an outro, or do you want to? Sure. I just got called into work, so I have to. <laughs> I have to go. That's true. That is true. I have to go record the sound of a boat right now. <laughs> that is exactly what they are asking me. How quickly, the the I got a text. The boat engine is on right now. How quickly can you get here? Welcome to the glamorous life of a sound recordist. But you're a pro, so you're gonna get there pretty damn quickly. It, I mean, it's pretty close to where that my hotel is. So okay. <laughs> no one needs no one needs to know what you're doing right now no one your crew needs to know like, I sorry know. I, gotta, I gotta i gotta i gotta finish recording my friend talk about how talk about how much he hates anthony kita so be right there like, oh exactly. yeah of course i've been there i understand guys but i'm doing my podcast <laughs> <laughs> i've been like fuck you get over here right now <laughs> <laughs> you're well, a goddamn adult Oh, God damn it. I am. Uh, well, that's my our three things for this week. Thank you so right, much so for listening. Mike, Mike, where can we find you? My, I'm at Michael Gugino at everything.com, whatever, <laughs> .org. <laughs> I am at Maggie Sirota on Twitter.com. And if you like what you're hearing, if you'd like more, please leave us a comment, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your pets. And, you know, I'm actually curious to hear what people think about the Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame thing. So yeah. if you want to tweet at us, at Mikey Sirota, at Michael Gugino, please do it. Because we want to hear what's in all of your brains, too. Life is short. Yeah. So give it away now. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm so close to calling the cops on you. <laughs> Follow the Moscow. Network.